When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Pick a Flick, episode two, with me, your host and curator, Tony Black. And this week we're kind of cheating already. It's only the second week, and already I've decided to cheat with the format. Because this is going to be a special on Shakespeare films. And this was originally planned for my previous podcast, Black Hole Cinema, which has now gone the way of the dodo. And has a <laughs> I did just say way of the dodo yeah. <laughs> sounds like a shit Bruce Lee film <laughs> the way of the dodo and now I decided to carry this one over because I promised uh, my guest and uh, good friend that I would that I would still do it so uh, please welcome Louise MacArthur Clare hello now this is your first ever <laughs> podcast isn't it it is yes so you're as Shakespeare might have put it shitting a brick I thought you were going to say a virgin. <laughs> no, no, he'd, no, he'd not even eat say that. No way. Not yes, yes, I am. I'm rather nervous. <laughs> now, I must point out, we are eating Oreos, my girlfriend's lovely brownies, and Fox's Viennese Whirls, I think they are, aren't they? Or Viennese something. So, if you do hear the odd <laughs> slobber, I apologise in advance, but we're having a podcast lunch. Yes. There, there will be quiche later. Which I'm is to the should be good sequel to There Will Be Blood. Um, the, <laughs> there will be quiche. Uh, so yeah, Lou is joining me today for a uh, Shakespeare special podcast in which we're going to talk through um, various different Shakespeare films over the years, and we're going to do it in the new pick a flick style, which obviously we brought to you last week with the, uh, the the premiere episode. And just before we start, though, Lou, tell everyone how we know each other because we've known each other forever, <clears throat> haven't we? Okay, so. Um... We did a drama degree together. Um, Tony turned up very, very early on in the second year and invaded our friendship group. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, basically, yeah. Like we, a... we haven't been able to get rid of him since. So that was 12 years ago. Mm. In fact, 12 years ago, probably this weekend, because we used to, always used to start back the first week of October. Wow. That's true, actually. So. We're recording this on the 4th of October. So, yeah. No way. 
I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. 12 years. I know. What crime could you commit these days and get that amount? Murder. <laughs> you said that a bit quick. <laughs> yeah, we've we've been friends for a long time and we did drama together. And Lou, of course, is a... Well, you are a drama teacher, but you've now moved on to slightly newer pastures. But yeah. you, are, you are a dra- drama yeah, teacher. Yeah, a trained drama teacher, but... Mm. Um, Taking a, a short career break yeah. and uh, working for an educational charity for a little while. That's um, really good. With a bit of performing on the side. Yes. Otherwise called her life. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, so you but you have like done Shakespeare back and front over the years, haven't you? That's why you were perfect yeah. for this, this yeah. podcast. Um, I think most recently uh, directing uh, Romeo and Juliet for Shakespeare Schools Festival with um, a bunch of teenagers. That must have been fun. Yeah, uh, it, do you know what? It was amazing. I mean, these kids are some of the most talented performers. They're just absolutely brilliant and soak everything up that you're saying. Um, mm. But to get two 16-year-olds to look like they're in love with each other. Um, <laughs> and they were good kids as well. They weren't the type who probably, you know, been around a bit. They're probably just about having their first kisses Aww. in fact I know one of them did about two weeks before we performed really yeah they were those type of kids um, so to get the passion from them was was absolutely amazing but um, that's nice yeah kind of I do miss that element of it all but um, yeah um, so lots of lots of different Shakespeare over the years studied it at university mm. A level GCSE so but university we did we did a whole module, didn't we, on, on Shakespeare? Yeah, I think we did it in the first year, and I remember actually watching a bit of one of the films that we're going to be discussing. Mm. Um, but kind of looking at Hamlet as well, yeah. and comparisons of loads of different versions of, of Hamlet. Mm. That was the first play that I ever remember, uh, first Shakespeare play I remember reading and, and actually understanding it and enjoying it. I actually remember climbing out of my bedroom window and sitting on the kitchen roof with a a massive old copy of like yeah. all of the plays so you know oh the, the huge yeah. I've got one up there actually a massive yes. giant collection yeah, of William about, Shakespeare about, yeah. about two inches yeah. thick kind of sitting on the roof of the kitchen reading it and actually kind of it being a page turner for me yeah. which is the first time I'd actually really accessed mm. the, the language and the text and in, enjoyed it rather than it just being Merchant of Venice Mm. which I studied so many times at school did it at GCSE hated it did it A mm. hated it so not yeah. one of my favourites that was always one that cropped up What the one I hated we're going to talk about later which is one of the biggest ones really but everyone I think has a Shakespeare play you hate at school because the problem with it is that well in my experience when I was doing it in English it's different when you do it in drama but when, when I was doing it in English they were reading it like it was a book so they were, you know, there was no element of performance with it. So everyone was reading it like it was reading a novel, and it's not a novel. You know, no. the whole point is, and I've had to correct because obviously I, I used to work in a school. For those of you who don't know, and I wasn't a teacher, but I used it to. Wasn't a teacher. No, no, I used to <laughs> apparently tell everyone I was and be corrected by teachers who I know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Usually, if you were trying to chat up a girl, yes, I'm a teacher. Yes, I'm a teacher. Yes. <laughs> One of us stood in the background going, "Dude, you no, really no, you're not." not. Yeah, and I'd do that, and I'd be, and I'd have to correct children for actually saying, "Oh, I've not read the book." And I'm, well, it's not a book; it's a play. You know, these mm. these were meant to be performed. So that's why I think a lot of children at school hate them. And then, 
one of the reasons why they respond so well when you put the film version on for Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, and you'd have had experience of that, wouldn't you? Putting on Shakespeare films, I imagine, for classes and things. Yeah. Um, usually Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Can't lose with that with, one, can you? Um, o Fortuna from um, Carmina Burana as yeah. the opening piece of music. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it still gives me tingles. I saw it four times in the cinema and I can still sit there. Four times? Yeah. I thought, I just... I absolutely loved it. Wow. I absolutely loved it. And they still get that buzz from mm. it, which is really, really good. But there's different... Ver- I think it has to be done in a particular way to grab the kids, because otherwise you can get very lost in the language, because the mm. language is difficult. And if it looks unfamiliar to them, and they don't understand the language, they're going to mm. shut off. But if it kind of if it looks familiar and something like they might be interested in, they will listen harder and at least ask the questions about what has been said yeah, and yeah. what is going and on what's for happening. them to understand further so. mm. and I think that there's a there's, there's some films that manage that and some films that don't aren't there yeah definitely and I think we will we will get on to that in a bit <laughs> the ones that do and the ones that don't but before we get on to the, the films we've picked and we've yeah we've picked them this week it's not a you know putting it out to, to people if we'd have had more time I might have gone what Shakespeare film should we do on the Shakespeare podcast <laughs> um, but we didn't we haven't had that so um, we've chosen the ones we're going to talk about and we're, we're going to basically do a potted history really of, of Shakespeare at the cinema as best we can but before we get there let's pick a flick so we are picking first all the Shakespeare Basically, because all of it. We're starting off. The the idea is that we're going to start off talking a little bit about the early history of Shakespeare films. So, obviously, film has been going for roughly around 110 years or so, 120 years. The first films were like the 1890s in France with trains coming at the at the yeah, screen. Yeah. You must have seen that. Yeah, and they all um, the audience legged it because they Cause believed that it was actually going. To they thought it was real. The first ever. Well, firstly. There's been a, a lot of Shakespeare things committed to TV and film. There has mm. been 410 Blimey. in like since like the 1900s. The first ever one, the earliest known production of a Shakespeare film, is a French version of Hamlet, which was uh, made in 1900 with an actress called Sarah Bernhardt. Have you ever heard of Sarah yes. Bernhardt? She was a French stage and early film actress referred to as the most famous actress the world has ever known. She lived from 1844 to 1923, and I'd assume she played... Well, she may have played Hamlet, actually, I suppose. I don't know. Who, who in Hamlet would she, might she have played? In Hamlet, she would have been um, his missus, who I want to call Octavia, and I don't think it's her name. I can't remember what her name is. Ophelia? Ophelia, I knew it began with an O. That That's close. You're very close. Right, yeah. So... Yeah, she may have played Ophelia, but it's, I'd say that wasn't a silent film either. It's cited as one of the first examples of sound and moving image syncing created with the new phono cinema theatre system. Wow. Yeah, well, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and there's no link, so fuck it. So yeah, that was the, that was the first ever one. And over the, the course of, of the next few years, all the, all the major plays were, were represented. So there was a version of As You Like It in 1912, um, a US version there was a UK version called uh, Love in a Wood <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds like a dodgy porno doesn't it really yeah soft core you know it'd be a bit dodgy because as you like it is um, is all 
uh, cross-dressing and the woman is a um, the woman hides so dresses as a man yeah but then a woman falls in love with her yeah and then she has to try and escape from, from that to fall in love with the man that she's fallen in love with who kind of falls in love with her even though she's dressed as a bloke and it all gets very confusing oh no I've gone cross-eyed <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be the most complex description of yeah. that story ever. <laughs> like, what do you think I left teaching? <laughs> <laughs> That's a snapshot of you teaching. Well, as you like it, funnily enough, you, you'll remember this. Was, was my last... My la- she remembers it with, with paroxysms of laughter. Was my, laugh, uh, my last... My last... My last uh, piece for my third year drama, wasn't it? Yes. Um, with <laughs> myself and... Um, our friend Matt Dawson and Adam Massingham who was on Black Hole Cinema and hopefully will be on this one day um, what did we rename it? As Your Mum Likes It <laughs> because we're very mature and we, we still say that now a little side note what was what was the single finest moment of that play if you can remember involving Adam when he said shit <laughs> got his lines he said shit <laughs> we was in the middle he, he was shit he was playing he's got a very if you've heard Adam speak he's got like, he talks like this because he's from High Wycombe so uh, he's a bit like that and as you like it he was playing I believe it was Charles some somebody like that he was one of the supporting characters and he came on we did it in like gangster style so as you as you know a lot yeah. of these as we'll talk about later the modernised versions we were going for like a 1930s smoky gangster style with this yeah and uh, he came on and he had to face the, the audience and this is like 500 people in the arena theatre in Wolverhampton and I was on stage I was, I was backstage with the director um, at the time and it was he stared at the and he forgot his lines and all he said was shit <laughs> out loud to 500 people and behind I always remember being backstage at the time it was mortifying we laughed so much afterwards but at the time it was mortifying I was backstage going no he didn't <laughs> no he didn't and I, you know he did and then luckily he remembered he carried on like nothing had happened but that's my favourite moment ever so that yeah as you like it was um, I quite liked that play actually I quite enjoyed that one there was most of them seem to have been like from the 60s onwards uh, there are certain ones in the 40s the Comedy of Errors there was a film in the 40s called The Boys from Syracuse um, which was so some of them have been given different names there was um, The Merchant of Venice there's been there was one in 1916 1922 um, 1947 films that haven't really you know struck a chord and, and you know lasted mm. um, there was a 1973 TV version of The Merchant of Venice with Laurence Olivier who we'll talk about in a minute yeah um, and his wife at the time, Joan Playwright, and that they were playing Shylock and Portia together. There was uh, a Midsummer Night's Dream. There was a 1909 version of a Midsummer Night's Dream, and a 1935 version. But I think really, there's most of them are 50s, 60s onwards. But there's been there's been some really interesting interesting versions. So there's a long history of Shakespeare, but I think the one we we're, we're going to talk about. Is probably one of the most famous ones from 1944, which is um, Henry V. What's he that wishes so? My cousin Westmoreland? No, my fair cousin. If we are marked to die, we are enough to do our country loss. And if to live, the fewer men, the greater share of honour. God's will, I pray thee, wish not one man more. Rather proclaim it, Westmoreland, through my host, that he which hath no stomach to this feast, let him depart. His passport shall be drawn and crowns for convoy put into his purse. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. 
The on-screen title was The Chronicle History of King Henry V, the fifth, with his battle fought at Agincourt in France, which was the title of the 1600 quarter yeah. edition of the play, starring Laurence Olivier. Now, you watched this, Lou, didn't you? Yes, I did. Um, it's quite interesting the way it was filmed, actually, because it starts off, actually, in a theatre. Mm. So the whole piece starts with them on stage, and you see little clips, like little snippets backstage, and so the whole of the first act until they go to France is performed on stage in a theatre. It's, mm. it's at the Globe. It starts raining and people leave and they carry on performing on stage. And I suppose it it made me think of Shakespeare in Love. That yeah. kind of um, from the opening sequences of Shakespeare in Love, where you get an idea of what it might have been like to actually mm. see. A play during Shakespearean times. The one thing that got me, but I suppose because of it then moving away from the stage, was they actually had women on the stage. Right. So obviously, during Shakespeare's times, if, it, if they were performing on stage, women weren't allowed to perform. Yeah, that's, yeah. Because it was seen as a form of women had to be pure and, and truthful and honest, and it was seen that acting was a form of lying. Mm. So women weren't allowed to perform on the stage. Yeah. So there were women performers on the stage, and I kind of went, oh, if you're trying to make it. <laughs> did you do that noise? Yeah, I did. Oh. Oh. They're trying to make it look realistic. And in fact, we were sat there for a little bit. Is that a woman? And she got boobs. <laughs> do you think so? The boob test. Yeah, it sounds like a woman. But then after the first act, it kind of it moves. The, the, the narrator kind of flies through the clouds and it goes through um, to like a really stylized um, set. You can imagine it in like a big sound, um, sound stage somewhere. Yeah. Kind of big painted backdrops and, and very simple sets. Mm. So it still wasn't quite naturalistic. And I don't know, the acting was almost quite stylized as well. The way that they were portraying the trench was. Say, but in quite a stylized way. Um, but then, when it comes to the Battle of Agincourt, it then goes out into the fields. And yeah. it's all, so it's all, all natural. It's what we think of as being, you know, filmed. So there's a jarring cut between the actual stuff on the sound stage, wherever. Yeah. And, and, and then they go in, fight the Battle of Agincourt. On, in, in, on in location. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I think. I think as time's got on, maybe it gets more slick about mm. the way that Shakespeare is portrayed on screen. And I think as well, maybe the quality of, of the DVD doesn't help. Yeah. You know, at some points it is incredibly loud in the way that, like, you know, like the snatches and pops of the, yeah. of the film and everything. Mm. You can actually hear that very much in the background. So, right. you know... As, just kind of the mixing as a, yeah as was, a contemporary viewer it's quite difficult to yeah you start focusing on it because you, you're just not used to it um but it is quite an old film now i mean we're talking 70 years yeah you know it's these films now are increasingly you know they're getting on they're wearing yeah um, and styles of cinema are changing so much that some of these old films you can watch and they're still classics like Wizard of Oz, Casablanca. Yeah. But some of them, if you ever see some of these films, they tend to put them on at like 7 o'clock in the morning on BBC Two sometimes, and it'll be an old <laughs> film from 1931. Yeah. And they're, they're, they're almost unwatchable in the sense that they're just so old and creaky. And, yeah. You know, 
it's and especially when you're talking about Shakespeare's language, which to a lot of people is hard enough to decipher anyway. Yeah, you need to be able to. But it's almost like you need a clear yeah. mind palette to be able to take it. In. Yeah. But you know, if you've got other things going on, you're kind of like, oh. Well, it was believed to have been the first film. The reception of it was really good. Believed to be the first film that successfully solved problems relating to the rendering of the Bard on screen. Uh, Mary Pickford's 1929 Taming of the Shrew retained little of Shakespeare's dialogue, having started production as a silent film. And then Max Reinhardt's 1935 A Midsummer Night's Dream received moderately good or mixed reviews, but not quite acclaim. Same with a lacklustre version of As You Like It, which starred Olivier. And it was ultimately the spectacular flop of a, um, a Romeo and Juliet adaptation. I'm not sure of the year, but um, it caused them to stay away from Shakespeare for a long time, yeah. basically. And they, they tried then to redo it in different styles. So you had yeah. version, things like Kiss Me Kate, which yes. was a take on Taming of the Shrew, and then West Side Story. Yeah. yeah, so you had all these different kinds of things where they were doing yeah. Shakespeare, but they weren't really doing, doing Shakespeare. Shakespeare. <laughs> Taking the, the, the outline of the story, but not using the language. But yeah. then I'd argue that that is possibly the true way of doing an up-to-date version of it is actually mm. is Shakespeare about the stories or is it about the language because actually mm. the language was just language at the time yeah. so is it more about the fact that he wrote these amazing stories and we, do we get too hung up on the language that's used rather than appreciating the characters and the storylines when you, when you watch these older films these older versions they're harder to they are harder to digest precisely because of, of the fact that you don't have necessarily the visual aspect mm. alongside them. And that was, going back to the whole school thing, that was that was the eternal problem a lot of the time with, yeah. with when you were at school, when I was at school, <laughs> when I had to watch the older versions of all this yeah. stuff uh, before they started making new ones. Which brings me neatly onto the next stage of Shakespeare at the cinema. We're going forward about 20-odd years now to the 1968 version of Romeo and Juliet which was by uh, Franco Zeffirelli. <laughs> Great name. Which, if you're unfamiliar, here's a clip. Oh, would thou leave me so unsatisfied? What satisfaction canst thou have tonight? The exchange of thy love's faithful vow for mine. mine before thou didst request it, and yet I would it were to give again. Wouldst thou withdraw it? For what purpose, love? But to be frank, and give it thee again. So yeah, the 1968 Romeo and Juliet adaptation, co-written by Zeffirelli as well, and stars Leonard Whiting and Olivia Hussey as Romeo and Juliet, respectively. It won Academy Awards for Best Cinematography and Best Costume Design, and it was also nominated for Best Director and Best Picture of that year, uh, making it the last Shakespearean film to be nominated for Best Picture to date, unless one counts Shakespeare in Love, which is obviously an apocryphal retelling of the story. We'll talk a bit about that later, I think. So Laurence Olivier spoke the film's prologue and epilogue, and there's that man again, reportedly dubbed the voice of the Italian actor playing Lord Montague, but was not credited in the film. Hmm. Oh. Being the most financially successful film adaptation of a Shakespeare play at the time of its release, it was popular among teenagers partly because it was the first film to use actors who were close to the age of the characters. 
from the original play and it was welcomed enthusiastically and it was the 1936 George Cukor film I think that was the flop version right, okay. of, of Romeo and Juliet and then there wasn't I don't think a big adaptation till this and obviously since then we've had another one but we'll talk about that later what about this one then? I mean, this is the one I remember at school that I hated. <laughs> yeah, I think even my, my husband's um, a few years older than us. Yeah. I'm referring to him as... His name's Poster. It's easier for me he's, to say Poster rather than my husband. My, he's a man of a certain age now. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's 39. Yeah. Come on, Tom. No, I, no, but I've been called a man of a certain age lately. Have you? Yeah, at work. People <laughs> who say, you're, oh, you're a man of a certain age now. You don't, you won't, you won't know what that means. Just because I don't know what fucking Pokemon is. <laughs> Pokemon was when we were young. No, I know what I know what Pokemon is. I don't know what a certain Pokemon was. Like oh, right, Snuffle, okay. Huffle, Bobble, or some whatever. Right? And they were, oh well, you're a man of a certain age, yeah. You're not meant to know. No! No! Pokemon <laughs> is not the arbiter of this. Anyway. Um, carry on. Yeah, so uh even <clears throat> Posty said he'd watched it at school, and I remember watching it at school. Um, mainly because it had a bum and some boobs in it. <laughs> I think that's what everyone remembers. Yeah, the bum. His, his, his bum and boobs. Was it his bum? It was his bum. It wasn't his boobs. <laughs> <laughs> his moobs. Yes. Yeah, in fact, it's got Michael York in it as mm. well. With that kind of voice that doesn't really leave his mouth. He's got a really particular... He's Hello, the, the Austin! Almost. It's yeah. kind of... I just think of it as Basil Exposition now. Hello, <laughs> Austin! He plays... Um, Tybalt. Tybalt. I thought it was quite an interesting... Quite an interesting piece. The way some of the, uh, some of the scenes were directed, actually. Um, I thought it was quite good that they were... You know, very similar to the age. Especially... Yeah. Um, Juliet looks really young. And, mm. Until you see her boobs. And then it feels a little bit wrong. So boobs are quite big. Well, she was she was seventeen at the time. Was she? Yeah, when she and, made this and, film. You know, it's sixteen, seventeen. Very clearly said at the start that she's thirteen. Yeah. You know, so there is the, there are those kind of uncomfortable mm. moments in it where yeah, she, I mean, even with her being seventeen. Yeah. We, I don't think that'd fly nowadays either. Oh no way! Um, you wouldn't you wouldn't have have her breasts out on screen. No. You know, down which day for her being supposedly coming up to her 14th birthday as mm. well I don't think in any of the other Shakespeare on screen plays that I've seen where there has been a character yeah. you know that has been nude but I, one, the, the one scene that stuck out for me was the fight between Mercutio and Tybalt right where um, Mercutio dies because actually the way that it was directed was that they were just playing mm. and that it was all very jovial yeah because I mean my first kind of intro to the play really was the Baz Luhrmann mm. version and that's very it's very pointed it's very nasty yeah between the two of them and actually when I directed it that's that's how I directed directed yeah. the scene as well but actually it's all incredibly jovial and then um, Michael York as, as Tybalt is, is surprised and mm. shocked to see the blood on his sword when he has stabbed yeah. Mercutio because it was clearly something that wasn't expected and it was never meant to be the end game of the fight so it, it took him by surprise yeah. as well um, that's really interesting and actually it then stands more with that um, that point that it was Romeo who mm. held him 
You're right. as he was being stabbed mm. because actually he maybe thought that the fight was more serious but he's actually caused the death yeah whereas in versions where they're angry at each other Romeo standing in between them he's actually trying to do a good deed mm. because he's trying to stop them. Uh, okay. whereas in this one it was almost like there wasn't even though they were they were fighting they were playing so it kind of makes Romeo part Romeo's part in it even more serious because he never needed to stand in between them because there was never the, what, the viciousness it, there. It did, it did always strike me. I mean, like I say, I had to watch this when I did Romeo and Juliet in English. And uh, as I say, it was a good example of how it wasn't a play. It was a book I was, I was yeah. reading because the teacher didn't do it properly. But the film, really, I found it difficult to watch. Not out of it being a horrible film. It was just I was quite bored by it because it seemed very yeah. serious. Yeah. I think, I confess, I haven't rewatched it. Um, in preparation for this podcast <laughs> naughty Tony but I think that I might get more from it now you know with age yeah possibly um, is it a faithful adaptation I mean that that's the key yeah thing. there's there's. I noticed little bits of text here and there that maybe had been cut but mm. then when you've got a play that's three hours and you want to make yeah a, a film that's like a I think it was about an hour and twenty minutes yeah yeah you know a um, you know, you've got to you've got to be able to. Mm. I know it's about two hours, but you've got to play around with those yeah. things. But yeah, I think it was a faithful adaptation, and you know, you've got all the what would be thought of as being traditional costumes. Mm. And, you know, it looked like it was set in Italy. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, as well, the 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 Romeo and Juliet theme from it is the piece of music from Simon Simon Mayo's um, Your Letters. <laughs> really? Oh yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, and that is that is kind of the the theme. Oh, okay. From it, and it's played all, all the way, way through. through. Another interesting thing, and again, something that I never thought of, is when Juliet's put in the tomb mm. in in like the crypt, mm. that there'd be other dead bodies in there. Oh yeah. And and there's actually kind of these bodies that are starting to look quite mummified. Oh God. And she's lying amongst them, and you don't. We never think about that because actually, the the Capel's monument, yeah, would have other dead bodies in it. Well, yeah. Well, if it's a tomb, yeah, then yeah, it would. But yeah, we we never consider that. We always <laughs> think of it as being kind of, you know, it's this big romantic moment. We yeah. don't kind of think of there being dead bodies, corpses, yeah, corpses. <laughs> Line of eight. I looked at Posty, I was like, but it stinks to I <laughs> <laughs> All this this dramatic, you know, moment of yeah, yeah, yeah. Really smell. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there's a few. There are there is a few interesting things about this film. The first one being that in his autobiography, Franco Zeffirelli asked said that the person originally asked to play Romeo was Paul McCartney. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, yeah, who would have been probably around twenty, I'd imagine, at that point. Oh no, he'd been older than that. He'd have been about twenty five because he's 73 now Paul McCartney so he'd be about 25, 26 yeah. so that would have been, but the problem with that would have been you would not have seen anyone else you would have just seen Paul McCartney yeah and I think you know, I mean I don't know how well known the cast were at the time I mean not we know like we look now but particularly I don't think really you know I think I think it needs that unknown yeah cast they either need to be all unknown or or, or all very well known very known no I, I agree in popular culture, Tom York cites the film as one of the inspirations for the Radio's to Head song Exit Music for a film. 
which was specifically written for the ending credits of the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet which we'll talk about in a minute um, he said I saw the Zeffirelli version when I was 13 I cried my eyes out because I couldn't understand why the morning after they shagged they didn't just run away <laughs> <laughs> the song is written for two people who should run away before all the bad stuff starts a personal song that's what he said it was uh, interestingly though that song doesn't appear on the soundtrack what of Romeo and Juliet yeah the, the oh. Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet soundtrack was my favourite CD Japanese manga artist Rumiko Takahashi <laughs> can't believe you're laughing at a foreign name <laughs> no, I'm just wondering whether, but what I was laughing at was whether you'd actually said it right <laughs> well, the fact that no one will ever know no one will know <laughs> reference the Zeffirelli film in two of her manga and anime works in one episode of Yurusei Yatsura Devious troublemaker Ryoko Mendu invites the series male protagonist Ataru Moroboshi <laughs> to, <laughs> to have a Romeo and Juliet rendezvous with her, Romeo and Juliet in inverted commas, and wears a dress based on hussies from the film. Later, Takahashi's Ranma 1-2 featured a storyline in which the lead characters Ranma Sawatomi and Akane Tendo are cast as Romeo and Juliet in a production of the play at their high school. Takahashi designed Ramna Ranma and Akane's costumes for the play with Whiting and Hussey's outfits in the Zeffirelli film in mind. Now that seems like an odd like inspiration, doesn't it? Japanese yeah. manga inspired by the Zeffirelli film. But yeah. it proves that it, it, it was quite well, it touched a certain yeah, chord at the time, I, didn't it? I think, again, the same as the post is, like, when I studied it at school, the Baz Luhrmann version had just come out. And I remember yeah. that moment the TV was rolled into the, uh, the front of yeah. the Yeah, <laughs> I remember that, yeah. So exciting. Oh, I was like, yes. Um, we're going to watch Romeo and Juliet. I'm like, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seen this at the cinema. <laughs> Love this film. And then the Zeffirelli version comes and You're on. like, oh, God. Um, and I think just uh, there's going to have been an entire generation, possibly even two generations, mm. where if you were studying Romeo and Juliet and you were going to watch it in a lesson, that was the one you were shown. Yeah. And I know that there's still copies of it knocking around. I mean, I, I told you... I had a copy of this uh, Zeffirelli version on my desk mm. at school that I'd nicked from somewhere yeah. from the English department. So it's still it's still being shown in schools, possibly because it, it's it's true in inverted commas yeah. to the styling of the time as well. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I think if you if you move it on though, you'll have now the future generation, hopefully, or the generation now will be studying. The next, the next big one, the Romeo and Juliet that is now this generation's Romeo yeah. and Juliet, which is the the nineteen ninety six Baz Luhrmann film, which obviously starred oh, he's already happy Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes in the leading roles. Yeah, the the film, <laughs> the film is an abridged modernisation of Shakespeare's play. Um, while it retains the original Shakespearean dialogue, the Montagues and Capulets are represented as warring mafia empires with legitimate business fronts, and swords are replaced with guns, with brand names such as Dagger and Sword. So, this one, let's have, let's have, a, list, let's have a, a look at this one, because this is, this is a very, very different Romeo and Juliet. Here's a, here's a clip. Sweet goodnight. It's blood. Of love. By so much ripening breath, may prove a beauteous flower when next we meet. Goodnight. Oh, wilt thou leave me so unsatisfied? satisfaction canst thou have tonight the exchange of thy love's faithful vow for mine 
I gave the amount before that Sid requested. This one then, th- this one, Stefan and my girlfriend watched this yesterday, and we were struck by how young they look. I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio at the time was, he was 20, about 21, 22. Yeah. Le- Claire Danes was only around 17. So she, again, like, like Olivia Hussey, she was, yeah. she was young. But it's such a, even now, 20 years on nearly, it's yeah. such a striking, well-made movie, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, Again, I mean, as I think I said earlier, it's a modern adaptation, but then my argument would be that would a modern adaptation have modern language? But it's a fantastic way to get you into that that text. And it just makes it feel so accessible. Mm. I I saw us at the cinema four times and sobbed every single time, (laughs) jumped when the gun went off. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and just it just grabbed me I don't know I can't tell you what it was I loved everything about it so I had the CD mm. um, you know listened to it constantly it was a great soundtrack oh, it, was it was a brilliant soundtrack we even had the second one with all the incidental music yeah. and like the classical music like O Fortuna yeah, and like yeah. but yeah I think having someone in it like Leonardo DiCaprio um, who I think it was not long after then Titanic Titanic was the year after was when he this. went stratospheric. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but having someone like that, you know, kind of brought all the girls in. Oh, God, yeah. Um, Definitely. But it was, it was. I hated him. I hated him. <laughs> I hated him at the time. I hate, I didn't, I would not watch this film when I was that because I was 14. He was handsome, rich, all the girls loved him. You know, it was the reason I didn't like take that. Yeah, hated him. Hated oh. him. But he's. Looking back, he's 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 great, and yeah. and he's gone on obviously to be a really great actor. Yeah. But like, yeah, and I think Baz Luhrmann, you know, he's he's just such a, a visionary in terms of his mm. directing. I mean, the yeah. first film I saw was um, was strictly bo- um, was strictly ballroom. Yeah, and you know that was that was brilliant, and he he retained kind of elements of that into. Romeo and Juliet and then again kind of off into Moulin Rouge um, well there's an interesting quote by him actually that after Strictly Ballroom was a success he said oh, our philosophy has always been that we think of what we need in our life choose something creative that will make that life fulfilling and then follow that road with Romeo and Juliet what I wanted to do was to look at the way in which Shakespeare might make a movie of one of his plays if he was a director how would he make it we don't know a lot about Shakespeare but we do know he would make a movie movie he was a player Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed And it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. About the Elizabethan stage that that he was playing with for 3,000 drunken punters from the street sweeper to the Queen of England. And his his competition was bear baiting and prostitution. (laughs) So he was a relentless entertainer and a user of incredible devices and theatrical tricks to ultimately create something of meaning and convey a story. That was what we wanted to do. So he achieved that, I think. It's those kind of, you know... The subtitling of yeah. different places. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. When of, you see their names come yeah. up at the beginning as well, it's very Tarantino, I thought, yeah. very yeah. St- off the back of him. At the and time. then, like, when you go to the Capulet's house, it, it comes yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. Of, um, again, that was something that he used very much. Strictly Ballroom starts off very much in a documentary style, yeah. kind of with, with subtitles for people's names and mm. stuff, and ex- you know, explaining who they are. But it's those those shots where it kind of it's almost like it's the camera's just moved suddenly and it shows you somewhere else. Mm. Um, and it was just all the elements bringing together the music as well, and you know some really clever casting choices. One thing um, I don't know what his name is, but he plays Link. Harold Perrineau. In Matrix. Who was also yeah, and he was also Michael in Lost. Yes. What? That guy. Yeah. He's 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 absolutely. He's bri- he is. I couldn't and believe I it was think, him when we watched it. I was like, oh my god, that's yeah. He's I great. I think his Mercutio is fantastic because he just takes the cra- There's always that that almost he could tip over. Yeah. At any point, he's dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially during the Queen Mab speech. He takes that madness at the end. He's unhinged, isn't he? He's yeah, bit... to another level. And I, I suppose this is the dangerous thing with modern adaptations: is the idea of linking that to possibly like an ecstasy tablet because he has yeah. the he has the tablet with the heart. Yeah, um, yeah. And and that's the that's the danger. Is obviously a kid watches that they think that they were taking drugs yeah, as yeah. opposed to it being like a state of mind but yeah much more effective than the guy who played Mercutio in the Zephyr mm, version mm. you know really captured no he did really captured that did you did you spot Paul Rudd as well oh yes as Paris yes couldn't believe that I was like I love Paul how Rudd. young does Paul Rudd yeah. look like you know he'd be like yeah. 20 odd I imagine at that point yeah um, was a good cast absolutely you know, really phenomenal. good character actors in um, that film. Yeah, um, Miriam Margulies. Mm. She's yeah. always good value. Yes, a very yeah. lovely lady as well. I have met her. Oh right, um, yeah. But she, yeah, she's she's absolutely brilliant mm. in it. But again, the danger is the fact that because they've cast her as like a Latina lady. Yeah. That kind of Julieta. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah <you are. laughs> that's what I like. Yeah. Hi, the hemp supply, Lord 
What, if only you, you listeners could see the face that Lou just pulled when she did that. It was like, hi, hi. Amazing. I again, the wish da- I'd pictured that. Then. The, the danger is, is that an audience watching that and not yeah. knowing the play could take those things yeah. as red. Yeah, um, definitely. But yeah, just just phenomenal. The, the, the fish tank scene. Yeah, yeah. You know... And that uh, kissing you as well. I learned mm. kissing you after that. Yeah. Um, I've sang it at weddings. Yeah, actually. Yeah. But amazing you know, song. Just all, just all came together. The visually, it's it's just phenomenal as well. It's it looks so good. It's so, it really a feast for the eyes. Yeah. Casting wise, though, interestingly, Natalie Portman was originally considered for Juliet, but after production began, it was felt the footage. Look, she she obviously screen tested with DiCaprio. The footage looked like DiCaprio was molesting her. Because she was 14 at the time and he was 21. So Baz Luhrmann admitted she was too young and made DiCaprio look older than intended. Yeah, Yeah, that would have been very different. And then you wouldn't have got Claire Dane's ugly crying face. Pretty girl, she cries ugly though. She does it in (laughs) Homeland as well. Yeah, well, she does a lot of that in Homeland because she's barking in that, isn't she? But her face crumples like a piece of paper. Um, but yeah, she does. She does a lot of ugly crying in uh, in Romeo and Juliet. But yeah. She, yeah, she's just fantastic in it. It's a great film, and I think it was. It was. You talked about the modern adaptations of Shakespeare, and it kind of it was around that point when people started to do versions of Shakespeare that were that were, took a modern aesthetic. Like there's um, the Richard the Third Ian McKellen film, mm. which had a very much a 1930s like Third Reich parallel to his rise yeah. to power. There were, there were films like that there was the a version of Hamlet which was done with Ethan Hawke yeah. which was very Generation X style kind of modern day yeah. grungy yeah, so, kind yeah. of film which was 2000 even recently you've had Coriolanus which was Ralph Rafe Fiennes which was very much it was set in an alternate kind of future well where it's very military and things like mm. that so People since I think I think Baz Luhrmann's film really inspired people to to think outside the box with it. Did you see the the Joss Whedon Much Ado About Nothing, which was about three years no. ago, black and white, filmed in his house during a hiatus of filming Avengers, the first Avengers. He had like two or three weeks off, and he got all his mates, all his all his mates like Nathan Fillion and Alan Tudyk and Amy Acker and all these people who've been in his TV shows, got them around his house, this massive sprawling mansion in LA, and filmed a version of Much Ado About Nothing. In black and white, and it's—I don't think it's a great film, but it's—it's it's got a lot of you know fun actors who pop up from all the shows he's done. He seems to like doing that because that's yeah. a similar sort of thing they did on uh, Doc Horrible, uh, Doctor Horrible, Doctor uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He gets that's Nathan Fillion. He gets all these people yeah. back, but that's how Joss Whedon has a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> he makes a whole film. So yeah, there's been there's been a lot of these adaptations, and I think the one though that. I remember loving the most came in 1999 which was 10 Things I Hate About You Heath Ledger the the late great Heath Ledger which was directed by Gil Younger who hasn't really stood the test of time unfortunately (laughs) starred Heath Ledger Julia Stiles Joseph Gordon-Levitt yes again and uh, Larissa Olenek and it's a modernisation of William Shakespeare's late 16th century comedy The Taming of the Shrew uh, retold in a late 1990s American high school setting this story sees uh, new student Cameron, played by Gordon Levitt, 
um, smitten by with Bianca, Ollie Nick, and in order to get around her father's strict rules on dating, attempts to get bad boy Patrick, who's played by Ledger, to date Bianca's ill-tempered sister Kat. Um, the film is titled after a poem written by Kat about a bittersweet romance with Patrick. Um, let's have a let's have a look at this one because this is a great little film. Okay, let's open up our books to page seventy-three, sonnet one hundred and forty-one, and listen up. In faith, I do not love thee with mine eyes, for then thee a thousand errors know. But tis my heart that loves what they despise. Who in despite of you is pleased to dope? Now, I know Shakespeare's a dead white guy, but he knows his shit, so we can overlook that. I want you all to write your own version of this sonnet. Oh. Yes, miss, I have an opinion about everything. Do you want this in iambic pentameter? You're not gonna fight me on this? No, I think it's a really good assignment. <laughs> you just mess with me, aren't you? No, I'm really looking forward to writing it. Get out of my class. This was great. I, I saw this when I was 17, and I loved it, straight away. Yeah, I wasn't 17, because you're older than me. Yeah, again, brilliant film. And I yeah. think, knowing the play, actually, it's it takes elements of the story, mm. but very much... In the play, Catherine is um, is tamed by Petruchio, who is the um, yeah. Patrick Verona yeah. character, the Heath Ledger character. Whereas actually, she tames herself. Right. Um, and it's very much about girl power. Mm. Um, I think kind of that nineties. I don't think it would have, if it had been told as a as the play is. Mm. I don't think it would have got anywhere because it would have been very much the men having the control over the women. Yeah. Um, I mean, Patricio's really mean to Catherine and kind of, you know, goes against everything she's saying until essentially he wears her down. Yeah. You know, so keeping that bolshiness and actually having the Larissa Royne, um Bianca yeah. to actually have some of Kat's um, strength yeah. pass over to her so there's more of a balance between them but it's not about them becoming tame and moderate women because I don't think that would have floated well if it, it's not the right no. era for that is it I mean you're not talking that was that's the point Spice Girls right so. yeah girl power yeah and it's you know the the, night, the way we've developed in the last 15 odd years is very much in that vein you'll yeah. find a lot more of the films these days have very strong female yeah I mean parts you know, in you know cats are, cats are feminists oh That's, god and she's great I, I love her in it because she's tough as old boots for, yeah, for a lot of that film absolutely brilliant and I mean I think it's quite clever they, they feed little bits of the text in mm. um, you know who's that oh that's the shrew yeah um, you know I think Bianca at one point asks Kat um, why are you so wretched yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. So kind of, the, there are little links to the text, and then one thing I noticed: Cat and Bianca, their surname Stratford. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, and isn't Patrick's Verona? Yes, Patrick's Verona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's called Patrick because the character in the play is called Petruchio. Right. Okay. So there's there's the link. That's good. There as well. Yeah. Obviously, we've got reference uh, the the English teacher um, mm. references plays and and sonnets and actually yeah. it's it's linked to a sonic sonnets where we get the ten things I hate about you poem that Cat writes yeah yeah about yeah. Patrick yeah although I think for all the girls it was the moment that Heath Ledger stands it's, and yeah. sings 
You're too good. You're to just be too good to be true. That was brilliant. Yeah. That was brilliant because direct as a man watching that through a lot of that film, he's a bit of a dick, right? For, for yeah. at the beginning, and but he he's not. But he, he but then he does grow to be this great guy. And when he does that, he's just yeah. He's such a brave. Even even I felt like Heath Ledger was brave for even doing it in as a, in the character because yeah. it's such a moment where yeah, I mean you know it's, it's not really well done scene, no no but, you know, but, and that makes it more real yeah, as well exactly. so it was actually yeah. a big musical number no it, it wouldn't no taken something away from it but it I think as worked. well the music as well kind of um, all the those girl groups now, I'm not sure there's the one where the girl it's the one the band who were playing on the roof at the end and, and she looks a bit like uh, Gwen Stefani yeah um you know they're they're an actual band. I think they were fairly must have been fairly popular in America at the time. That's um, that... the band Letters to Cleo. Yes. Um, we singer Kay Hanley, which is probably the one you're thinking of. Yeah. Because um... um, they appear as the band performing at Club Skunk. Yes. Playing the songs. Come on, co-pilot. Yeah. <laughs> I, then... want, I want you to want me. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. It's, it's an absolutely brilliant yeah. song. But you know, kind of again, echoes of the time that kind of moving into that pop mm. punk. Yeah, you know, yeah, some yeah. forty-one type. Yeah. You know, it makes it really, really um, modern, modern and relevant. Yeah, I love that scene at the start where the two cars pull up and and yeah. listening to. Uh, in fact, the one car is listening to One Week by yeah. Naked <laughs> Ladies, which is quite apt. Who I'm seeing uh, in the week. Yeah, and um, you know, Cat's listening to some angry girl. Punk. Yeah, yeah, you know, just shows how she's on a on a different path. It's quite interesting that we find out that it's not necessarily a path that she's put herself on, mm. but it is in reaction to this twat of a sister's, yeah, um, insisting on dating. This is it, and it's it's interesting because it it kind of it does tap into that whole idea of of like late nineties, like teen sort of. You know, stylistics, if, if yeah. for want of a better word, and I think that's one of the reasons that it, like because like, American Pie came out the same year. You know, it, yeah. it, and it's that it's that whole style of even though it's very different films, American Pie it had that whole style of youthful. Yeah. Thing. And it, I think those films. I remember seeing that when I was, I think I was at sixth form, and I wasn't studying Shakespeare at the time. But it, it made those kind of films. I think are important for young people to see because they allow you to get into Shakespeare by a different method and understand the story itself which as you said earlier is perhaps the most important thing the story and they may then be able to read the timing of the shrew yeah and get it more and be more interested in getting it because they know what the framework is in the story before we before i quiz you (laughs) because obviously quiz the quiz time is now part of our um part of our show something Um, i was only informed of late last night yes so (laughs) good luck with this So yeah, we'll have we'll have a quiz in a bit about Shakespeare and the things we've talked about. Before then, let's talk a little bit about the latest film, finally, that we've seen. Because obviously there, there continue to be Shakespeare adaptations over the years. The latest one that's just come out is um, the 2015 version of Macbeth, which stars Michael Fassbender as Thane of Glamis. Macbeth. Glams. Glams. That's the one. Thank you. <laughs> Glams. And Marion Cotillard as Lady Macbeth. Directed by Justin Kurzel. I think that's how you say his name, Justin Kurzel. I've just said Custard Jerzel. Custard Jerzel, we'll call him that. And um, yeah, so here's a clip from the new Macbeth. What are these? 
Live you or are you that man may question? Speak if you can. What are you? favourite Shakespeare play actually mm-hmm. I've, I've always loved Macbeth whenever I used to work in a school and it was in English lessons I used to love when we did Macbeth with the students because yeah. I just because it's nasty and dark and mm-hmm. weird and brutal and it's just it's just really good you have obviously done Macbeth a lot yeah and directed a version right of it a this one then yeah. it's interesting interesting film we went to see it last night didn't we yeah a bit heavy-handed in the ter- in terms of editing of the script mm. of bits that are really well known. So they don't do all of the um, "Where shall we three meet again?" Right, and then change the word um, "upon the heath" to "upon the battlefield," mm. which, yeah, you know, they go to see him on a bat- battlefield. But I think because it was trying to be quite true to time and 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 place i think that maybe they you know they should have left the text alone and um, there was also we didn't have a double double toil and trouble um by the pick, pricking of my thumb something wicked this way comes yeah you know which are quite important pieces and, and pieces that people they, know they're hugely they well of, known yeah they cut a lot that they cut they cut the witches down a mm. bit, and they were very present Hmm. But in terms of, of dialogue, they did they did cut a, a fair bit out for me. But the way that they were presented was really good. There was four of them, and then five of them eventually, because they had a baby in arms yeah. towards the end. Just kind of these, they were just women, weren't they? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, you know, the witches have been portrayed in many different ways over the years. Um, I think it made them eerier though that they were just like normal yeah. Scottish women who you don't know where they came from you don't know yeah. who they are they just apparently can see yeah. the future and Macbeth's rise and fall yeah. you know and it's that whole silent little girl was free yeah, yeah. as well they were really unnerving yes. I, I felt yeah so portrayed really well but it was just a shame that they didn't get quite so much dialogue but maybe that made them eerier possibly I suppose I think Michael Fassbender was absolutely fantastic yeah we discussed last night I've not seen him in many things um, you've only seen him in Prometheus which I, yes. I'm the only person in this world who likes that film <laughs> I said he was a robot you told me he was an android there's a dif- still not sure what there's a difference is. androids are more aware I think robots do I don't know I'll have to look this up there's a difference <laughs> if you want to tweet us and let us know or Facebook us and let us know what the difference is between a robot and an android that'd be very helpful the fact that there isn't a difference there is prove me right <laughs> But yeah, he, he he was absolutely fantastic, and I think he really captured the the torment. And I think it was quite interesting as well because there's a there's a lot of soliloquies yeah. within this piece, and how it was directed. Because obviously, ordinarily that would be out to an audience, but trying to keep 
um, the action going and how you actually yeah. add that into a piece of action was, was directed really well but you know he went through the entire range of emotions and he did didn't he he was yeah. he was powerful but I think we, one thing we talked about that was interesting is how Lady Macbeth came across yeah and that uh, kind of leads on actually is, is she didn't go through enough of a range no no um, she didn't for me Lady Macbeth is is the driving force of the entire thing yeah I mean, Macbeth tells her as a, almost an offhand comment of, of what the witches have said and she's the one who puts the wheels in motion you know the, again she has quite a few soliloquies where she's there's the one where she's um, where she's talking about um, fill me from the head to the toe top full of direst cruelty mm. and there was just not there was just not the venom yeah. in the way she was saying it she was I mean I suppose maybe that means that even, you know maybe she's even more dangerous if you don't hear yeah. the, the darkness there. possibly but quite often those pieces where she was on her knees in the chapel mm. And it kind of it brought them all down to a similar level. Yeah. Same with um, Out Damn Spot, and there was no, there was no reference to her hands mm. at any point. It was all just straight out. So there just wasn't the colour yeah. in the characterisation for me, really. Which is odd because Marion Cotillard is capable of that, you know, because yeah. she we've seen her in in films where she's gone from being really, you know quiet and calm to being really quite possessed of madness inception she she's like that yes you know she has moments of it in the dark knight rises as well and it's mm. you know there's, there's quite a few other movies where she does that and it's it's interesting that they never it never it's went deeper it's we talked about how she seems more like just a grieving mother than more than anything else because the film yeah. opens with with their dead child yeah um and the, the the funeral for the dead child which is a deviation from the play as well yes. so it's that whole she's portrayed more sympathetically really and he yeah. is much more of the, the yeah. instigator and the villain especially that moment where um, they've got Macduff's family yeah oh you know that was like Game of Thrones yeah, where Stannis burns his daughter alive that was horrible you know she's, she's stood there crying whereas you know she's she's meant to be the instigator of yeah. everything I mean it's almost like Macbeth's just a, a hapless passenger yeah, yeah. on her journey Really, which makes her one of the strongest women. Well, she's an archetypal character now that many people use in all yeah. kinds of things. I mean, even shows like even Sons of Anarchy, where you know the character of Gemma Teller is, is a Lady Macbeth character. People call her because that's a, basically a retelling of Hamlet. If you watch right, that show, yeah. effectively, but they, she's considered like a Lady Macbeth almost character in that, and that there loads of these strong, calculating women in fiction have been yeah. referred to as a, a Lady Macbeth kind of character. So yeah. to do this very, 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 you know, from the setting and, and the way it's filmed and the, and the accents are very traditional Macbeth in, in that sense, because yeah. it's set in Scotland, it has all that, to do her differently Yeah, I mean, just seems... from, from the text, I mean, you know, she the line where she's talking about the fact that her and Macbeth have, um, have decided on this deal, mm. that he's going to kill the king. Yeah. And he comes to her and says he can't do it. And she says, um, I would have plucked, uh, plucked my nipple from the babe's mouth and mm. dashed it upon the rocks if I said that I was going to, yeah. you know, if I was going to do so. But again, kind of so, 
Because those words are so cruel. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so horrible, especially from a mother who has lost a child. Mm. You know, and and she was just never portrayed as that. Yeah. In fact, the only time that she, that she was quite calculating is that moment where she is planning about how Macbeth was going to kill the king. Yeah. When they're actually having sex at the time. Yeah, yeah. And he's going for it and she's talking him through the plan. <laughs> and that's the only point where she does seem quite calculating. Calculating. Because actually she's not. Mm. She's almost, she's, she's completely separate from, from what's going on at that moment. And her mind is elsewhere on, on the future. There's a moment, as a little bit of it came out when he's going mad at the banquet and she goes, are you a man? Yeah. But that even that, in retellings I remember, is that it's a lot more like equivalently what the fuck are you doing right you're going yeah. to give the game away it didn't seem yeah. the same you know no but I thought he played that well he did oh he did that whole sequence where Banquo appears at the, yeah. at the, is really chilling yeah but just the way Kurzel films it and, and carefully pulls in on Paddy Considine yeah. and then pulls out when he's not there yeah eerie and eerie fact, as anything on Banquo <clears throat> as well I, th- I thought the kid who played Fleance I mean you know quite a key character but doesn't have a single word to say in the play played by a young actor called Lachlan Harris he got just a fantastic face that moment that he sees his his dad die just facially I think it can be quite difficult for people to to act facially sometimes because we're quite led by dialogue so we think about how we're going to say the words and let that carry rather than thinking about exactly how it's showing on the face and because Fleance doesn't have a single word to say yeah, yeah. you know he, he, he's got to be a physical actor and he was a very very oh, he, he had a lot of range considering vis- you know visually with the way yeah. he performed you know just from the moment like he, he, when they come back after the battle and he runs to his dad and jumps in his arms and that was something that we questioned at the end though is Fleance goes and gets Macbeth's sword and runs off with it at the end. Yeah. The, All of it odd. It was a little bit strange, the the final shot. We were confused about that a little bit. But yeah. um, I think this one will be remembered, A, for Fassbender, definitely. Mm. But I think it will also be visually more than anything else. Oh, I mean, it was stunning. It looked gorgeous. I mean, it, it was truly portrayed a sort of medieval Scotland mm-hmm. with long low fog hanging over everything mm. the, the way the sunlight would cast through you know the the the, but the set design was was amazing like the, the yeah. their bedroom was just this yeah. gigantic almost church like structure and then the final battle between Macduff and, and Macbeth is the burning of of the the wood and everything and it, mm. it looks astonishing because it's dark orange hued and there's this mm-hmm. fight it's just it's just beautifully shot and i think I think Kurzel's done a really good job of visually bringing this to life as well. All the slow motion during the first battle scene as well, yeah. with with um, Fassbender just stood as he sees um, the witches yeah. in the distance. Everything's going on behind yes. him in slow motion. Wonderfully stylized. Yeah, it was. It was. I think very impressive. There were certain questionable elements to it, definitely. Yeah, certain tweaks. And I think I do think that times it might be a bit impenetrable if you don't know the story or the or the or the, or the literature, yeah, the literature, the, the play a little bit. But I think visually you'd, you'd understand, you'd, you'd pick yeah. up from it, and you know, good good cast as well. People like Sean Harris who played Macduff, he's a great uh, character mm-hmm. actor. As is David Thewlis as King Duncan. Yeah, these are all really really solid. Paddy, Paddy Considine, all really solid actors as part of this ensemble, led by Fassbender, yeah. who's just. Just Mag- magnetic yeah. 
And the bizarre thing is as well, it's something I've realised um, when I was watching Kevin Fitz the other day and I was like, he looks like Michael Fassbender. Lawrence yeah. Olivier looks yeah. like Michael Fassbender. Yeah. So I, kind of, I went on the internet just to kind of get a couple of pictures to make sure I wasn't making it up in my head. And there's actually they kind do. of split pictures where people have already picked up on this yeah. and put, put two pictures of them together. Yeah. It's yeah, a, it's uncanny. He, he, if he, he, I think he, act, he certainly in Prometheus, he he acts just like Peter O'Toole sometimes, but he's got that Olivier look. He's a very yeah. traditional sort of looking lady man, but no, I think Macbeth Macbeth will be he's, he's one to one to go and want to go and see as a, yeah, as a piece of Shakespeare. And I think on the big screen as well, yes, it, it helps with that epic quality. It and does. The music was haunting. Yes, at times. it was. So yeah, I think I think definitely. There's things that you should go and see at the cinema. I think you get that. It's quite unapologetic in in the blood and gore and yeah, you know, yeah. It doesn't yeah, it doesn't shy away, does it really? No, not at all. But yeah, very impressive, very impressive. So Shakespeare is still going to be. You'll, there'll be more. There'll be more Shakespeare adaptations. It's never going to. It's never going to end. There'll always be new ones. <laughs> there'll always be new takes. In terms of films that are coming up as Shakespeare, I don't quite know what we've got yet, but. Uh, That'll be something. If you know any, if you know any Shakespeare future adaptations that are coming up, and you wanna, you wanna let us know. And if you want us to, you've just, have you just dropped an Oreo in your tea? <laughs> and now you're looking really sad because you've only got half an Oreo. Half an Oreo, and I'm gonna have bitty tea. Well. <laughs> bitty, bitty, bitty. Do you remember bitty, Little Britain? Yeah. Bitty. Yeah. If you wanna, if you wanna uh, message in with any uh, potential future Shakespeare adaptations for us to listen to, you know, do so. Um, let us know. Now comes the fun part, quiz time. You get to be the second person on the leaderboard, or second or third person on the leaderboard, to uh, to go on the the pick a flick quiz. So you, you saying that that sigh is one of joy. By the way. <laughs> She's just gearing herself up. Um, okay, eight questions, right. right? And I've been kind on you because all these questions pretty much are things that you will have picked up or learned or thought about during this podcast. Right, okay. I've been very nice. Okay, these aren't di- too difficult, I don't think. So we'll see. Question one. Good luck. <laughs> How many film adaptations of Shakespeare's work have there been since film began? There's 415. There's 400 and something. Do you know what? I'll give you a point for that because it was, it was 410. Oh, not far off. So that's pretty good. <laughs> All right, well done. I'll give you a point there. Who played Banquo in the 2015 version of Macbeth? Oh, I don't know, and you've said his name several times. Paddy, Paddy something or other. I really liked his beard. Reminded me of Posty, actually. <laughs> what, your husband? My husband. <laughs> he um, does, actually, yeah. Paddy something or other. Can I get half a point? You can have half a point for that. Paddy Considine is the answer. You can have half a point. What was the name of the Desiree song in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet? I'm kissing you, love. I totally did that question, so you'd sing. Because Lou's actually got a very good voice. Um, so thank you for that. Kissing you, yeah. Uh, great, great tune. Who directed the Shakespeare documentary Looking for Richard? Now, this is a bit of a tricky one, because we haven't exactly discussed this. Not at all. But it's a well-known actor. A well-known actor. Mm. Oh, would it have been... Oh, the dude who wants to be... Um... What's his name? It's not Michael Fassbender. No, no, he looks like he doesn't want to be him. Oh, he's in the Harry Potter films. No. Well, it's not him. I don't know. You're thinking of it's not him. Al Pacino. Oh. 
because Al Pacino did a documentary called Looking for Richard in which he basically traced Richard III through because he's obsessed with Richard III right okay yeah so who am I on about though I think you're on about Ray Fiennes no Voldemort no the guy who played um, the really poncy professor he came in and did uh, potions for a little while but it was a bit crap and all the ladies fancied him oh Kenneth Branagh yes yes Kenneth Branagh yeah, yeah Gilderoy Lockhart yeah you're yes, thinking of because he seems to have done a lot of the films that Laurence Olivier's done well, yeah, well, yeah, he did Henry V, I think, yes, and he did he Hamlet did. as yes, well. Um, so that's no, good guess, good guess there. But sorry, who played Romeo and Juliet in the nineteen sixty eight film? Now, this is a double pointer. I can give, I'll give you two points for this. You can get this right. We've said their names. I know. <laughs> Have a guess. I don't know. You don't know. Okay. Um, My mum and dad. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fucking weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> Olivia Hussey and Leonard Whiting is the answer. <laughs> there you go. Um, Not doing very well, am I? You're doing okay. You're doing okay. You'd have got that if I'd have asked for the 1996 version. Yes. But there you go. What famous musical was inspired by Romeo and Juliet? West Side Story. Hey, well done. One point. Ro- Romeo, oh Romeo, get out of my face is the tagline of what film? Now, it's not Romeo and Juliet, I'll tell you that. Okay? Bloody clue. <laughs> I'll, gi- I'll give you a clue. Remember, these a lot of these questions are based on things we've talked about in this podcast. Um... Romeo, oh Romeo, get out of my face. No, not sure. Right. Shakespeare in love. <laughs> it, it, no. Ten things I hate about you. Um... One of the two taglines for that really? film. Really? Yep. The other tagline. What do you do with it? <laughs> well, yeah, I know. The other tagline was the primary tagline is "How do I loathe thee? Let me yeah, count the ways." Nice. But the other tagline is a spoof from Romeo and Juliet, which is "Romeo, oh, Romeo, get out of my face." And there was a third <laughs> one, which was a line from *Taming the Shrew*, which is spoken by Cameron in the film. "I burn, I pine, I perish." So, yeah. Okay, and the final question: Who starred in *Hamlet 2*? *Hamlet 2*. Have now, we discussed this? No, but there, there is a film called Hamlet 2, which I quite enjoyed. No? I don't know. No. Okay. I don't know. All right. <laughs> Steve Coogan. Oh, I don't like him. What? You don't I can't like stand Steve Coogan. No. Absolutely. You don't like Alan Partridge? No, cannot abide. Oh, Lou, I had respect for you. <laughs> Can't. No, cannot abide him. Okay, well, Hamlet 2 was a film that was made about six years ago, I think, five, six years ago, which was about a, an American... He was a bit miscast because he played an American high school like drama teacher right. who decides um, to stage a, a sequel to Hamlet um, that he writes himself. Right? And it's, <laughs> it's a great idea because he has to work with all these urban street kids. It's a great idea, but it's like... It, it, it's a flawed film and it's, it's not as funny as it should be and it should probably have been an American actor who played it but yeah it was uh, <laughs> interesting so um, you have out of well actually we can say like nine points because there was a two pointer there so is um, it like I'm doing even worse <laughs> yes percentage wise yes you're doing it even worse you've scored a grand total of three and a half <laughs> fucking shit <laughs> And I'm a lot advised of, if I know there was a test. And a lot of them, though, were based... I did it on purpose, because a lot of them are based on things we've talked about in this podcast. 
So I intentionally said things like <laughs> West Side Story or Patrick Considine or 10 Things I Have About You or 410 Shakespeare Things. I said them because I thought she'll remember. She's clever. No. No, so clearly. I have, I have to, I have to like study. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, that's something you did at uni, you see. <laughs> the, bit, the bit I missed. So yeah, um, that brings us to the end of you'll go on the leaderboard now. Don't ever look at it because I don't want you to be upset. Uh, I'm coming back. <laughs> coming back to giggle your score. Back. I don't yeah. know what to do. <laughs> but yes, um, thanks Lou for coming on. It's been fun talking about been Shakespeare. Yeah, so thank you. I recommend Macbeth. Um, definitely. definitely worth seeing. That might still be on at the cinema when this when this goes out, but if not, catch it when you can. Pick a flick will be back next week with myself talking about a really fun film that me and uh, Matt Latham my friend went to see recently called The Room which, <laughs> which is a great film which your husband has seen and he didn't get it he didn't really like it very no, much not at all. It, is, it is arguably the worst film ever made so it's going to be fun picking through that um, with Latham because Latham and I are possibly its big, biggest fans so um, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll be doing that next week you can follow Pick a Flick on Pick a Flick Pod on Twitter and Pick a Flick on Facebook. Um, please do tweet us, Facebook us. If you want to recommend any films for us to watch, they will go on the list. We'll try and do as many of them as we can, uh, but if not, we'll blog about them and talk a little bit about them because we may not have time to do them all. But yeah, send us any recommendations for films and we'll cover them on the podcast and we'll give you some interesting facts. Um, Lou, are you anywhere on the social media so people can find you at all? Uh, yes. I um, am on Twitter, um, although I, I now have I have to have a professional account as well. Oh, right. so, um, <laughs> if you want to uh, hear me talk about education, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> that's Lou Matt Clare. Um, if you want to see me tagged in other people's tweets, because I never tweet. Yeah, you never tweet. I'm at Princess Leemore. Leemore <laughs> being the place you grew up. Yes. Yeah. It was it was something that the kids used to call me to try and bully me, so I just uh... because you used to flounce around as the no, princess. Because, because everyone said I was posh. <laughs> <laughs> that just shows you how bad Leemore is as a place. Still in Great Worley. Great Worley was. Quite oh, posh. Well, it's true. Yeah, That's, this is it. <laughs> Most people who listen to this probably aren't from the Midlands. They won't have no. a clue where we mean. Russell Cannock. That's basically where we mean. Oh, that's great. I've got so, a posh voice on I know you've yeah. done very well, actually. Yes, she's actually from Warsaw. Okay, just to clarify. Um, so yeah, yeah. Follow Lou. She is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Despite this podcast, <laughs> she is interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'll be back next week with a few more picker flicks. Remember, you pick them, we watch them. Simple. See you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.